Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. High school kids are welcome to stay in the service. Um, If you have a Bible, you can take it out, and we're going to be looking at a passage from Isaiah chapter 11. As part of our Advent series, um, you would have noticed we're putting pause on our 1 Corinthians series. As a church, we've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and um, we're just going to hit pause there for our Christmas season and uh, pay some special attention to uh, some of the Christmas themes that we've been looking at. So let me launch straight into off the back of what Jade has been talking about. And, and I'm going to start with some, some phrases that are, are rather sad phrases. Um, so how do these following statements make you feel? You are in a hopeless situation. Or you are a hopeless case. These are jarring statements and perhaps you've said them to someone Or maybe even worse, you've been on the receiving end of hearing these things said about you or your situation. And when we sense hopelessness, it is a despairing place to be in. It is a a devastating place. To lose hope is to be demoralized. It is devastating. Proverbs chapter 13 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we see that. We, we live in a country where there are many who live without any sense of hope. There is a great sense of loss or loneliness. And when life gets tough or when your dreams are smashed or dashed, it, it can really leave us with a sense of darkness or a sense of hopelessness. And this is the picture that we get of Israel the nation of Israel towards the end of the Old Testament. It's a dark picture. It's a gloomy picture. It is a sad picture. Israel were unfaithful to their God. Israel were disobedient to God. And so God judged them and he sent them into exile. The Babylonians took them captive and they were a captive nation. And things since then were never the same again. And so just prior to Christ's coming, the situation in Israel was a hopeless situation. And in many ways, they were a hopeless case. There was a sadness over the nation. And even though they were restored after exile, they were still under foreign rule for many years. And so you can imagine that the sense of longing, the sense of hope, that, that things would change, that God would actually send a deliverer, that, that the God who made promises to their forefather Abraham, that, that one day a greater Moses would come that would lead them into a new exodus, that, that sense of hope was at an all-time low. And so God, the God who had promised deliverance, the God who had promised these circumstances to change, it just didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. Things were dark and things were bad. And it really was a hopeless situation. And so when we read of the prophet Isaiah and what he has to say to the nation, God sends them a prophet. Isaiah comes as the prophet to the nation of Israel. He's met within the people just a small, faint flicker of hope. Maybe more desperation. And so we see this in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 
11, and we just want to look at the first 10 verses. I'm going to read the first 10, and then we're going to do some work on it. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. Now at first glance, when we read this prophecy, it doesn't seem to inspire much hope. I think you would have noticed that in verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. You've got a shoot and a stump. I mean, come on. You know, what about a king on a horse? Or a military parade. No, no, we've got a, a shoot and a, and a stump. This really is a picture of a forest that has been decimated. A forest of trees have all been lopped. They've been cut down to the very ground. And no doubt this is a reference to the famous tribe of Judah. Oh, but the famous tribe of Judah is flourish, uh, floundering, not flourishing, Right? The, the family tree of Jesse, who is David's father, is an injured stump. This is the image we, we receive. This is the, the opening gambit of this prophecy that, that all there is is a stump, an injured stump that's left. Can anything come from this? And it's into this hopeless situation that God through the prophet Isaiah, says that, yes, new life will spring forth. A shoot will come. A new shoot, a new branch will come from the stump that will change everything. And what we will see is that as the shoot grows and as the shoot begins to emerge, so too does hope grow. Into this hopeless situation, 
this injured, decimated forest, this tribe that was flourishing is now floundering, is hopeless, but there will be a shoot. And so I want us to notice a few things about this prophecy, a few more things. Firstly, I want to talk a little bit about specific details, specific details. Notice that this new shoot in verse 1 and verse 10 is identified. It is identified as being a shoot of the stump of Jesse. It's the tribe of Judah. It's David's dad. It's David's father. This is a very specific identification marker. This is not some just random, hey, it's going to come from human beings. No, no, it's very specific to a certain family, to a specific line, to specific descendants. This new shoot will come from Jesse's family, from David's seed. He, this new shoot, will be a son of David. But notice also that the shoot is going to arise out of an impossible situation. This stump that's been completely cut down, this tree that no longer exists as a tree. There really is a sense in which there is zero life left, no hope. In some ways, it sounds to me like a miraculous conception. A shoot coming from a stump. Isaiah earlier on in chapter 7 prophesied this in verse 14. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Wow. Not only will, not only will this shoot arise out of Jesse's line, but also the shoot will arise in Bethlehem, of all places. Bethlehem, wow. Can anything good come from Bethlehem? Well, well we've already seen that something's going to come from this dead stump, and it's going to be a profound conception of sorts. And then we read in John chapter 7, verse 42, as John reflects on the Old Testament, he says this, Has not the Scripture said, John is talking about the Old Testament, has not the Old Testament said, that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. The details, church, the details are remarkable. Specific details. We've got a specific person from a specific family who's going to come in a specific way to a specific town. This isn't just some random thumb-sucking. This is, this is the God of all things ordering things and bringing hope to a hopeless situation. He's not going to come in any other way. We know what to look for. We know what to expect. We know what family to keep our eye on. We know what in land we should be looking. We know that we should not, for, not be looking for the shoot in, in Babylon or in Assyria or in India or China or America or Europe. We know that this new shoot is going to appear in a small piece of land alongside the Mediterranean Sea in Bethlehem. Specific details. And as the shoot begins to emerge with all these details, so hope begins to rise. 
Okay, we've got markers. We've got, we've got sure signs. We've got signs that will lead us to grow our hope. But more than that, not just specific details, notice the specific manner in which he comes. Next, we are told of the fruitfulness of this branch. The shoot has now become a branch. Clearly, this new shoot is now, we know it's a ruler. It's a new ruler who will emerge. This this new shoot, the Holy Spirit will come upon. This new shoot will be anointed by the Spirit. Look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It'll It'll be a male. It'll be a male ruler. The Spirit, the anointing of God. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. Wow. The the manner in which we see this shoot and branch begin to emerge is is unique. This new king, this new king will embody all of Israel's best traditions. Notice he too will be anointed as all the kings previously were anointed. He will be wise and understanding. He will be mighty and effective. He will rule with righteousness and justice. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says here, He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. In other words, this king will reign unlike all other kings. He will be a righteous king, and his righteous rule is going to transform and reorder the ways of men. The poor who were despised, the poor who were left in the dust, he will lift up. This king will rule in righteousness. And church, when we study the life and ministry of Jesus... This is exactly what we find. But, and I'm sure your eye was drawn to this when we read the text, did you notice that there was something a whole lot more that this anointed king will do? Not only does this anointed king reorder human relationships, but he also reorders creation itself. It's fascinating. This righteous king will not only reorder humanity, he will reorder the created order in profound ways. Have a look look at it again in verses 6 to 9. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. That's not normal. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. Lovely little family. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a remarkable vision of a reordered world, of the created order being reordered by this king, this anointed king, who we have clearly identified because of the specific details, can only be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
I mean, what do we find here? We find what predators are now dwelling in harmony with their prey. These carnivorous instincts are radically transformed. The, the most vulnerable of humans, children, are free to play with venomous snakes. What, what does that remind you of? Surely Eden. Surely the beginning of creation, when, when God made the world and it was good and perfect, where there was no sin and where all things functioned for the glory of God. And notice that usually kings in the ancient world, at least the kings of Israel, would have been depicted as being mighty if they killed lions. We even know that David played a role like that. But this king, this new David-like king, is not killing lions, he's living among them. He, this new David-like king doesn't kill lions, he rules lions. He mysteriously eliminates predatory violence from the earth. In other words, here's the point, everything will be set right. Everything. The end goal is back to Eden. But now we're left with a dilemma, right? Right? Because if this is the case, then something is wrong. Because we must acknowledge that Jesus, this anointed king, did have a powerful and effective ministry. But when we look at the world around us, we don't see this, this, this amazing outcome. What we, we don't see Eden. We, we see a mess. We, we see corruption, we see the poor still afflicted, we see predators continuing to kill their prey, we see evil still flourishing among the nations. The earth surely is far from being full of the knowledge of the glory of God. So what's gone wrong? And the answer is, it's not that it's gone wrong, it's that there is a part two. We've only seen the first part and what Christ accomplished is as good as done but we only have tasted the inauguration the inauguration was his first coming where yes he accomplished salvation and purchased the finished goal and when he returns is part two when we will receive the fullness of of all things being made right. And so Isaiah is reminding us that if we just simply judge Jesus and his ministry by what was accomplished at his first advent, we are therefore left hopeless because sin still flourishes and evil still reigns in a sense. We would have to conclude that we are in a hopeless situation even though Christ has already come. Oh, but the good news of Isaiah and of the gospel is that the first advent demands a second advent. The first advent requires a second advent because the specific details are there for all to see that the created order will be made right. And it currently is not. And we anticipate that, church. And so what we learn here 
from Isaiah and for the entire Christmas story is although we still live in a broken and fallen world, we have an anointed king who has already set the record straight, who's already finished the job, but it's only been inaugurated and when he comes it will be consummated. There is a coming, just like his first, when all things will be made right. Listen to me, Jesus will not leave the world as it is. Jesus is coming back. He will not leave the world for evil to triumph. He will not leave the world for tyrants to steal our joy. He will not leave the world for evil to flourish. Isaiah 11 reminds us that we are now living between two advents, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Human relationships have been reordered. Christ now dwells with his church by the Spirit, but the created order still groans, Romans tells us. The earth groans and waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Because when Christ returns, everything will be set right. All wrongs will be righted. And so, church, we have joy. We have hope. In a hopeless situation, we find ourselves living between these two advents in a similar space to how Israel found themselves. Often it's a dark place. Often it's a, a, a desperate place, a place where we feel hopelessness. And it's easy to lose hope because of the brokenness, because of the fallenness, because of sin. But just like Israel, we are exiles. This world is not our home for now. When Christ returns, he will make all things new. Heaven and earth will be joined together. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the lion and the lamb will lie together. And children will play freely in the streets. Children will roam paradise restored. Look at how the prophet ends in verse 10. In that day, in that day. Now it's interesting, the prophet sees the two days simultaneously, but at the same time they're separated by thousands of years. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Notice that those words, shall stand as a signal. What? what does that mean? It's a sign. Stand as a sign. A sign of what? A sign of hope. A sign of hope. Jesus and his accomplishment will be a sign of hope for the peoples. Look at this. Of him shall the nations inquire. Come on, Christ. Finish the job. Come back. We long for you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And his resting place shall be glorious. The glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We long for that day, but as we look back to Christ, he's a sign of hope that the work he started, he will finish. And so hopelessness asks this question. Hopelessness, listen carefully. Hopelessness asks this question. What is this world coming to? That's what hopelessness feels. And, I, and, and we feel that sometimes, right? Because we're in exile. What is this world coming to? But here's what hope asks. 
Hope asks, who's coming to the world? And you can either live there, what is this world coming to, or you can live with hope. What is coming to the world is going to be glorious. All things made right. And so Advent fills us with hope as we look back to Jesse's seed, the root, the, the flourishing of Christ's ministry and the accomplishment in his first coming, but it fills us with anticipation. So as we look back, we celebrate, and as we look forward, we anticipate. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for this glorious reminder that all things are going to be unfolding according to your glorious plan. We thank you for the first advent, for the first coming of Jesus. We thank you for his manner in which he ministered, that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and that he ruled with justice, that he served the poor, that he lifted up the downtrodden, that he healed the brokenhearted, and that he laid down his life to reorder human relationships, to restore us back in relationship to the Father. Oh, but he did so much more. Through his death and through his resurrection, he laid claim to a reordered world. And we long for that. We long for the day where sin will be put away forever where death will be destroyed, where death will be swallowed up in victory. We long for the day of paradise, of heaven on earth. We long for the day of your return, Lord Jesus. And so we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come and visit us. Come and free us. We long for you to return. Lord Jesus, we groan. Yet we groan with hope. We anticipate as we celebrate. Fill us today, I pray, with hope. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this, the, the governments and, and, and the kingdoms of this world. Our hope is in Christ, the only true anointed king. And so fill our hearts with fresh hope today, we pray. Amen.